I wanted to write some of these down, but I chose not to. Mostly because it kind of feels inauthentic to me. These are my stories. These are my experiences. And somehow diluting them into a written form kind of made it seem a little less authentic to me. At least as I'm presenting them to you now. Uh, what you're going to get here is a collection of stories that have happened throughout the course of my life and to me. You guys asked for this after I put feelers out there, and I'm giving it to you. This is also the last episode of the Our Strange Skies podcast until 2020. I'll get to the reason for that at the end, but yeah, here we are. Uh, I figured I should probably drink a beer doing this. There's a lot of weird shit in my life. And uh, we're going to touch on all of it that I can honestly remember. Uh, I am going off really just an outline here. So, um, yeah, buckle in. Throughout my childhood, I've always kind of had an interest in weird and strange stuff. Like, Ghostbusters was very prevalent when I was a kid. Uh, not just the movies, but also the cartoon series. And I loved it. I owned that proton pack, that plastic proton pack, the, the trap, the PKE meter. I, I owned all that stuff. Played the video games. Just, just loved it. But uh, my first experience that I can honestly recall is from Christmas Eve when I was about I want to say six years old I can't remember the exact age I was but I woke up on Christmas Eve I think it's maybe 10.30 at night I had to go to the bathroom I remember my mom telling me that uh, it wasn't time to open up presents, go back to bed, and I, I told her that I was just going to the bathroom. And where my bath, my bedroom was, uh, when you walked out the door, it was led to a hallway, and right immediately next to that is a landing and a set of stairs that went down to our apartment door. We lived on the third floor of the apartment. I looked down the stairs, and I could see that our door was open. It was an old door. The doorknob was, I, I want to say it was like early 1900s. It was rusty, and it never stayed closed right. But 
I remember seeing the door just kind of closing on its own. I could see the light from underneath that came from the hallway outside our apartment, and it was just getting smaller. The door was closing really, really slow. And I thought it was just our neighbor downstairs because she used to do that. She used to close that for us. I went to the bathroom, went back to bed, didn't didn't really think of anything uh, about that door. And then um, a couple minutes later, I saw this shadow, or what looked like a shadow, in my doorway. It was really short, maybe, I don't know, two, two and a half feet tall, but it looked like a lawn gnome. That's That's the best way I could describe it, because it kind of, it's... What I would have presumed to be its head came to a point. I just remember it walking into my bedroom, walking in front of my bed. And I don't remember anything after that. I think I just went to sleep. I didn't really fear it. Because, I mean, it was Christmas Eve. I must have been thinking that, well... You know, this is one of Santa's helpers or something like that. It was definitely at a time when I still believed in Santa. But that that was the start of the weirdness and everything weird that has happened to me in my life. I guess the next logical step here is that Ghosts growing up, um, and especially when I came became a teen- teenager, like we like my parents, specifically my mom and my sister, we would talk about them. We would talk about you know like possible ghostly encounters that we may have had. And of course, I spilled beer on beer on myself, but we will continue on. I swear I'm not drunk, but. There was this story that after my grandfather died in 1998 in the house that my grandparents lived in, I want to say my mother, my uncle, and my grandmother, all three of them saw the spirit of my grandfather standing next to a boiler in the house. A week after that, the boiler kind of just shit the bed. So we've always kind of had these prophetic kind of things happened before and one of them for me involved my uncle's death was back in 2005 and I was in my bedroom at the time for Christmas I had gotten one of these um, uh, they used to sell them in malls they were basically like art that was painted on a mirror but 
the one that I had was uh, it would light up and it would play these like really beachy sounds and uh, it, I didn't have it that long it, it, like four months and I was just this was 2005 so I was uh, well within the workforce I think it was a day off and uh, I had turned on uh, the the picture there like maybe a while ago, maybe I don't know an hour ago. And I was playing video games and just chilling, and all of a sudden the uh, the picture goes out, the sound stops. Um, and I, I I it was weird, like what what the hell happened here? And uh, maybe like a minute later, I heard the phone ring. Uh, we had a phone upstairs. I think I had one in my room. But uh, if not, you could definitely hear it from the kitchen. Our house was kind of small. So, like, you you could definitely hear a lot in that house. But I remember uh, maybe, I don't know, ten minutes later, my mom came upstairs and told me my uncle who was vacationing in Florida he died and and the thing about this painting on that mirror is that it was like a beach scene with uh, palm trees and stuff so it was it was very weird i just kind of saw it as like very prophetic in a way um and like death kind of happens in in strange ways in my family and uh, I, one of the strangest was my own father's death. I don't know how to explain it, but it was a Friday. We had gone out golfing earlier that day. In fact, we had just come back. We were going to go out to dinner with my dad's new girlfriend. And the weird thing was is that I didn't get a sense that anything was wrong. But Dad backed the car into the driveway. And I I remember that detail so distinctly. He backed it into the driveway. He shut off the car, opened the door. And by that time, I had gotten out of the vehicle, come around. And I could see him, and he was struggling on the car door. And I went over to him and was like, Dad, Dad, are you okay? And uh, he was struggling to get out any words. Uh, I ran inside, called 911. And, uh, you know, they were they were sending, sending people. My dad was a big guy. He was, uh, for most of his life, uh, around 300 pounds. He was overweight, but he was built like a brick house. He was a really big guy. And... Uh, I kept looking, I'm like, how the hell am I going to get him off the door? Because he was really stuck on the door. I couldn't get him off by myself. And then all of a sudden, there's this guy. He's just riding his bike up the hill. And I remember, I was like, hey, man, can you come give me a hand? And, you know, he saw what was going on. And uh, uh, he did. Um, I may tear up talking about this, but, I mean, you lose your father. That's what happens. So I apologize. That does happen. But, um, yeah, we pulled him off the car, we got him down, and 
uh, I was still on the phone with 911 and they were saying, can you administer, you know, CPR? I was like, oh crap, no, I don't know how to do it. The guy didn't know how to do it. And by that time there were people that were showing up and one of them was our neighbor. I didn't know it at the time, but my neighbor was a nurse and she came over, she came running over and just started giving him CPR. And I was like, whoa, it's like, that's another weird thing. Everything about that day was so weird. Even while we were golfing, like, I don't think you can ask for better last days in in many ways. We, we, we had a great time golfing and there was this one point where my dad's girlfriend had this dog. It was a, um, I don't know exactly what kind of dog it was, but it was getting old. It didn't get around as well, and it didn't leave the house as much. His girlfriend lived right near the golf course, and while we were on this one hole, there's a, a road that kind of intersects the golf course and leads up to a bunch of private homes. And we saw the dog. It had come down that road, and it just stood there and it stared at us. She was friendly. She would have come over. She would have let us pet her and, and, and stuff like that. But she just stood there and stared at us. And then she turned around and walked back up the the road. And that was very weird. And my sister's always talked about getting this thought that she was going to get a call that her father had died. And that's always weird. And she's told me that story uh, like a million times. So it kind of runs in the family in a way, I guess. So after my father's death, I got really into the paranormal side of things I had started uh, before that even like right around the time that our family dog died I was huge into the show Ghost Hunters at that time I started doing investigations myself and I remember the first investigation that we ever did and by me I mean myself and another person one lady her mother called us frantic that her grandchild was basically being harassed by a spirit. I was a novice, but we were going to give it our best shot. We went up there. It was, a, it was about a hour away from where I lived. And the moment you walked in the door, you could kind of feel it. There was definitely something off. But then I looked at the child. And the child had the deepest, bluest eyes I've ever seen. And, like, I guess you could say I felt like I was interacting with something that was, like, it, it, it had more of an intelligence and could be more perceptive than I could be leading on. Like, when she looked at you, it was like looking into your soul, looking, like, right through you. That case was tense there for about ten minutes because we went upstairs where... This spirit mostly hung around. It moved around, but it mostly stayed in the child's like playroom. We got it out of there. I don't really know how we got it out of there, but I'm pretty sure 
it involved prayer and angels. That's the best way that I can describe it. And the thing with the angels, that was big for me. This was 2008, around that time. Yeah, 2008. And angels were big for me, and it all stemmed from this one event. It involved a friend. just moved into my first apartment and I had a friend staying there this was maybe two weeks after I'd moved in it was a warm day, it was a summer I moved in I think in June and it was just a really hot day and I was reading Christopher Balzano's first book about Bridgewater Triangle which I think was about the Hockamock Swamp or something like that or the Freetown State Forest actually I think and I had gone downstairs to read it because upstairs it was just, ugh, it was so oppressive with the heat and everything. It was just a really hot, humid day. I was sitting down there for 10 minutes and uh, I heard this voice next to me saying my name and the and the weird thing was is like it felt like somebody was bending over and speaking into my ear but at the same time the voice that I was hearing it almost sounded like it was out of breath like there was no breath in that voice and it kind of just freaked me out there for a second I kind of forgot about it for the rest of the evening went back upstairs and watched TV after that and later that night we were sleeping my buddy was on the couch, and uh, above him there was this, it was a fan, a ceiling fan, with a light fixture and everything on it. And at one point, this was maybe like, I don't know, one in the morning, I heard this loud bang. And like it woke me up. I, I was the only one that woke up because of it. I went into the living room where I th thought I heard it and turned on the light and was like looking around like what the hell happened my friend woke up when I turned on the light I noticed it was really bright in the room I was like what the hell and I looked up and uh, the globe on the fixture was gone and I'm like holy shit where is this it had to have fallen straight down or maybe next to the coffee table or whatever no it wasn't there it was in the corner of the room, still in one piece. And to this day, I do not know how to explain it. Where we found it, at the time, I'll try to explain this as best as I can. Probably really have to draw it, just because uh, it's a kind of a pain in the ass to describe it. But the way that the living room was set up and where it was found, there was a kind of an entertainment center at an angle. And then right next to it was this old trunk that we had that was my mother's. She had gotten it, and 
there wasn't a very big gap in between them. There was maybe like a few inches. And where the globe was, it was right in between the space created by them meeting in one piece. There's no way that ceiling fixture one would have really gone that far. I tested this. There's no way that it would have gone that far. There's no way that it would have been in one piece, but it was. And it freaked me out. Talked with a friend. Really gifted psychic. She worked with me on that first paranormal investigation. And I'm like, this is freaking me out. Like, I'm going to do an investigation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out what the hell this is. Because that, that, that just freaked me out. And she goes, no, stop. I was like, what do you mean, stop? She goes, that wasn't a human spirit. It was an angel. It's like, what? Angels? I, I didn't even know. I didn't even believe in angels, really. She's like, yeah, I was an angel. I was looking out for your friend. I was trying to get your attention earlier today. And I didn't tell her that. And she's like, yeah, I tried to get your attention earlier in the day. And when it did, you kind of got freaked out. And that's why it didn't do anything. Else. I'm like, and I was, I, I was still, I was just baffled. But the weird thing was, is like, it stuck around for a while. It was with us on that first case, at least according to her. The weird thing is, is that you can always tell when one's around because you feel joy. And you also feel... Like, you're almost untouchable. You're extremely happy. You're untouchable. You want to spread it around. That's the best way to describe it. first time I ever saw a spirit was when I was living in that apartment and I was coming home from working on a Saturday going home to get my Dungeons and Dragons books because yeah I was a big nerd back in the day used to play third edition all the time with some uh, co-workers and some buddies it was maybe we closed a little bit early but it was pretty dark out I want to say it was six or six thirty I could see this, what I thought was a guy, like, walking behind me. It kind of got a little uneasy, so I stopped to let him walk by me. And I think I was pretending to look at my phone for a second. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sure he passed. So I looked over. Nothing there. And then I looked behind me. And the best way to describe it is that there was this shadow of a man just standing there with me. Almost like doing the same movements I was. I'm like, oh shit. So then I swiftly <laughs> crossed the street. The guy disappeared. And I told my friends. And they're like, well, why didn't you... Like, you're acting like an idiot. Why didn't you try to document it or anything? Or, like, do anything? And I'm like, you're in that moment, man. <laughs> what the hell do you expect to happen? Uh, just one of those weird things, I guess. There's a couple of spirit encounters from 2013 that have left an indelible mark on me.
and they kind of informed a lot of the spirits I interacted with after. These both happened in consecutive nights, but the first one is one that I've told like a bunch of times, but it still affects me. It's the this one night I was with a new paranormal investigation group. We had some trainees that we were going to train that night. And we were looking for this one place that we couldn't find where supposedly you could see the spirit of this guy dragging his dead wife and daughter, supposedly. it's It was like a field or something like that. We didn't find it, but we found this one really off-the-path cemetery. It was new. There weren't old grave markers in it. Not past... I want to say the 1980s or the 1970s. It was really new. It was really secluded down this dead-end road. It was surrounded by trees. So you had this beautiful open space above you. And that night, I remember the stars, and they looked so fucking beautiful. You could see satellites clearly and, and all that kind of fun stuff. But that night, we had showed up maybe around... I don't know, 7.30. That's when we found it. And uh, we got our equipment. There was like five of us packed into a really small car. It was a Red Pontiac Sunfire. And we get there and we're about to show these new trainees the equipment. We get it out. We turn on, I think I had a uh, K2 meter. And this was like back when K2 meters didn't, you had to hold them to keep them on well they started selling them with, with switches and my switch was actually on the side got that out we got our emf meters out and we turned them on and then all of a sudden they started spiking it wasn't a car because the car was shut off it had no electricity running through it or anything we all just like kind of laughed it off i was like ha that's kind of funny they must be underground cables or something like that so we just kind of shrugged it off we split into teams, and we started doing work in the cemetery. Uh, we we did about and 45 minutes. Didn't get a damn thing in that cemetery. Uh, no anomalies whatsoever. There were some deer out there, but that was that was about it. So one of the groups went back to the car, got their meters out, and they started going off again. And it's like oh, this is pretty weird. And then they ignored it and went back to the cemetery, the place where we weren't getting anything. Yeah, that was dumb. At a certain point, we switched up teams, and I was with one guy, and he was just, we were just asking questions, didn't get anything. There was field mice out there that were kind of, you know, moving around and, and stuff and kind of mucking with it. Then we had the idea, why don't we go back to the car? That's the only place where we've gotten anything. So we did, and we turned on the meters, and lo and behold, what do you know, they started going off. We held them there for maybe a minute or two, and then it stopped. Okay, that was weird. So we just held them there, and then we moved forward, and it's like, there it was again. The meters were going off, and we kept doing this. We were going with someone around the car. We were walking around them with the car. And we had a ghost box with us at the time, and yeah, ghost boxes may be trash equipment when used improperly. 
but for whatever reason, things were clicking that night. We did some things right without even realizing it. So we got the ghost box from the other group, and we put it on top of the car, and then I put a voice recorder toward the back end of the car, and it turned out to be able to pick it up pretty damn well. We started asking questions, and one of the questions we asked was what the name of the spirit was. It was telling us, but we couldn't make it out because you're in an open area and you're using a piece of equipment that works well when you have headphones. Like, that's the optimal use for it is with headphones. And we asked the same question. We got the same response three times. So that seems significant. Other than that, we didn't really get a lot of useful information from it. We followed the spirit around, we asked it questions, and ultimately we packed up and left. It's kind of weird. Around the car. Why was it around the car? Why wasn't it in the cemetery? We've done cemetery investigations before, and yeah, we kind of gotten a little bit of stuff here and there, but I don't see cemeteries as these, and most of the time, these big haunted locations mostly because i see cemeteries as like these byways where people can come back or maybe it's a point where people do come back i started reviewing the audio recorder the next day and we captured it really well it was wonderfully recorded we found out that the spirit's name was jeff said it three times jeff and it was really interesting it's like, oh, really cool. So we cataloged that evidence and then just kind of put it away. Maybe a couple months later, we're doing a harvest festival, fall festival kind of thing. Uh, you know, trying to get investigations to happen. The funny thing was is that the building that we were in, there was another group that we couldn't stand doing guided ghost tours upstairs in this one place. The place that we were in, it's no longer open as far as I know. It's called the Holbert House. John Zaffis went there with the uh, Haunted Collector show. It's still haunted, by the way. He pulled me aside, like, when we were setting up the table, and he says, Hey, do you remember that spirit, Jeff? Yeah, I remember Jeff. He goes, well, we figured out who Jeff was. I was like, oh, really? Well, that's interesting. He's like, yeah, this is... uh, Jeff so-and-so, he committed suicide at the end of the road. I believe he hung himself, but I'm not really sure, and I'm not going to look into it. And they kept asking. They're like, well, why would they be interested in a car, the red Pontiac Sunfire? And it turned out that his daughter had one just like it. And that 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 to me is like the best work that we've ever done. I mean, I don't do this stuff anymore. It kind of upsets me. Especially with the way that ghost shows are these days. And not all of them are like that, but they almost push that satanic panic element where it's fear-inducing all the time. But that was one of my favorites. Uh, the second one that happened the next night, it was in a... City, it was, it was like a couple hours away, I want to say. And this woman had called us because the house that she had moved into had some pretty negative shit going on in it. And we had an investigator that came away from this case with a gash on his back. We also captured 
a photo of a spirit with a sword, which was really interesting. She didn't feel safe in her own home. She didn't feel safe for her family. We came in. We were going to do what we could do. And it was warm again that night. Like, it was the previous night. But it was really oh, it's humid as hell. Hated it. You could definitely feel it the moment you walked into the house. It was pretty oppressive. It all led to the attic. And there was something in the attic... Some of them said uh, it was inhuman, but I don't necessarily totally believe that. I think it was more human than we gave it credit for. I just think it was a negative human spirit. We investigated for a while. It kind of, like, followed each investigator, except for me, kind of around a little bit. And we kind of took a break to ascertain what the hell we were going to do here. And they looked to me, because I had a little more experience, and I'm like... I don't know what to do here, guys. I've never done anything like this. It's like, well, we'll think of something. I'm like, okay. This house seemed kind of, I don't know. It didn't necessarily seem familiar to me, but I felt comfortable there. Like, I didn't feel as out of place as everybody else. And the cool thing was is that one of the EVPs we captured was the spirit laughing because one of our investigators tripped while going up the stairs. It was great. <laughs> but... Basically, what I did was I brought the homeowner in. We went from room to room to room telling each of these spirits to go and get the hell out of there. And by the time we were done, the room and the house and everywhere in that house had a, a very light feeling. It felt different in there. It didn't feel as oppressive as it did. She was appreciative. We packed up and we went home. About a week later, I'm doing my laundry. I bend over, and all of a sudden, I feel this hand on my back. And I turn around, and nobody's there. And I can still feel this damn hand. And I kind of got freaked out. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I was like, I felt like I maybe had brought something home from that investigation. But I didn't know. I just felt this hand for a while, and it would go away, and then it would come back. I'm like, that's really weird. So I contacted my psychic friend, the one that has helped me in other cases, and in that first case I did, and I'm like, I think there's a spirit that's, like, hanging around me. I don't know what this is. And she goes, listen to your EVPs. Listen to your tape. I'm like, what What do you mean? Yeah, go listen to it. I think there's a message for you. It's like, okay. And I listened to it, and I didn't pick anything out. But she comes back and says, this spirit knows who you are. What do you mean the spirit knows who I am? It's like, I was in a house that I'd never been to before in my life. That's when she says, no, the spirit knows you from a past life. And I'm like, whoa, 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 pump those fucking brakes here for a minute. What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, she knows you from a past life. She feels like she let you down. Because you died young in that life. And I'm, I'm, I still don't know how to process this shit. I don't know how people are going to take that when they hear it. And I'll be honest, I don't care what people think. Because what I felt after that was just pure emotion. Whatever the spirit was, it was sad. To the point that it was making me cry. And I'm like, oh dear God, what the heck is this? And and my friend tells me, she's, she's like, you have to reassure that she didn't do anything wrong. And that you're okay. I'm like, okay. Well, I'll do that. So I talked to her. 
And I told her, I was like, hey, everything's fine. I'm going to be okay. It's not your fault what happened. And after that, it took a while, I think, to convince her. But she moved on after that. It was after this incident that for a few years, every now and then, a spirit would attach itself to me. And the weird thing was is that it was always female. I don't know what it is about male spirits, but male spirits don't tend to like me very much, and I'm not really sure why. I've had this happen, I want to say like six or seven times. It doesn't happen anymore because basically what happened after that, it something developed, like this sensitivity developed to the point where I could almost feel the emotions of a room. It was very weird. My friend basically told me, he was like, yeah, you're an empath. It's like, okay, whatever that means. She's like, yeah, you can feel emotions and stuff. Great. Fantastic. And it wasn't long after this incident that what I think is the catalyst for it happened. This happened one day after work, and it like stuck around for like maybe a few days, but I felt this intense pressure inside my head. Not like a headache, not like anything I'd ever really experienced anymore. It, it, it just felt like I had pressure on my brain in a way. And then it felt like it was pressure on top of my head. I don't know how to describe that. But after that, that's when spirits started to attach themselves. And they would always do the same thing when they did it. They would put a hand on my back to let me know that they were there. Some of them just wanted to hang out for whatever reason they found me interesting. Others, there was one woman who I believe passed very suddenly. She wasn't ready to go. So she found me and she hung on to me. And the funny thing was is she wasn't a cat person, so she kind of freaked out my cat. And my cat was like running from bedroom to bedroom under, <laughs> under the beds trying to avoid the spirit until I finally said, listen, you need to be respectful of the cat. Stop freaking the cat out. And she listened. I'll never forget asking that spirit the question of how she died and then hearing, not necessarily hearing, but getting the thought that it was a heart attack and having that confirmed by my psychic friend. That was wild. And there was allegedly a old witch, 17th century witch that attached herself to me. She liked to freak me out by saying a name in my head that I thought to be negative and it turned out it was her name, but she got a kick out of it. It was, it was kind of funny. After that, I could walk into the room, walk into a room and just feel the emotions in the room. Whenever somebody died, that feeling is the worst because it's just sadness, grief, and you're like feeling it at 10 times the intensity. After a while, I just stopped. I kind of tamped that down. I shut it down to the point where I don't really have encounters like that anymore. I haven't had one in a couple of years now. And I'm fine with that. I'll tell the synchronicity story because it's kind of funny and it's really dumb and it seems kind of pointless in a way, but it, it was helpful. So in 2004, I was going to my first Dave Matthews Band concert. Yes, Dave Matthews Band. Listen, 
I'm going to say this. Dave Matthews Band, you, everybody bags on them, but in terms of musicianship in a band, there really isn't many that top the musicianship of Dave Matthews Band. I'm going to gush a little bit. I still, I don't listen to them as much as I used to, but they're still amazing. They're still great. Still great band. So a friend had asked me if I wanted to go to this concert, and I'm like, yeah, I guess. So I I had to borrow money from my parents, and I basically just asked them for um, ticket money. So it was like 40-some-odd dollars. I didn't really have anything else beyond that. Payday was like, uh, I don't know, three or four days away, and I was pretty strapped. So I was like, well... I'm probably going to starve this entire time. Although a friend did buy me like McDonald's for breakfast one day. We were driving down and we were stopping at a Stewart shop in northern New York and Vermont and like in some of the New England states there are these convenience stores slash gas stations called Stewart shops. We were just stopping in there to use the bathroom and get anything if we needed it. As I was walking towards the bathroom... I saw a $20 bill on the counter. Like, on this counter, it was like... It was like where you would go and make your coffee. Nobody was around it. It was just sitting there. I was like, that's kind of weird. I'm like, I don't really... I, I went in the bathroom. I remember this. I came out, and it was still there. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm gonna take it. I don't have any other money, so... Why the hell not? So, I did... And we were going to camp down there, and they were telling me, oh, it's free to camp, don't worry, it's free to camp. So we get down there, we go to our campsite. Turns out, it's not free to camp. It costs $20 per person to camp. Oh, shit. If I hadn't got that $20, I would have been fucked right now. There's kind of just a few different categories here of stuff that I'll talk about. One of them is a prophetic dream that I had in 2008, I believe it was. No, 2009. This was maybe like a week before I went on vacation for work. I just kind of got this feeling that I was going to lose my job. Didn't know how to explain it. Didn't really let it take over anything. All I could remember was I was in this kind of big room, and it had, like, books in it. I remember picking up a book flipping to a page and coming away with a feeling that I was going to lose my job. Weird. So I was on vacation. I come in to work toward like the end of the first week of vacation. And my manager pulls me aside. I was like, hey, can we talk in the back? He's like, sure. And then he lists out all the reasons why they were firing me. All of them were bullshit. The main reason was uh, around the time that we were cashing up, I had a coworker in the office with me, and he was on his computer, I guess, on his laptop. So they fired me for that. Okay, whatever. I was pretty calm about it. And my boss looked at me, and he's like, you're kind of calm about it. I was like, yeah, I, I kind of just had a feeling that this was going to happen. <laughs>
a few years later, I found a new job, the job that I'm still currently in. Uh, I work in environmental services, the fancy term for somebody who, like, slings them up and all that fancy shit. I had been working there maybe a year, year and a half. I was walking to work, and I basically took the same path to work every day. My shift was from 5 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon. And the path that I took took me down this one street. And the thing is, is like, right as you turn onto the street on your, on that end, you can pretty much see all the way down the street. You can see if there's, you know, car coming, like people on lawns. It's pretty crazy that, you know, how well you can see out there. This one August day, I, was, I turned to go on down the street and... I looked all the way down, and I could see an animal of some kind in this one person's yard. I thought maybe it was a deer, because it was around that time of year when deer are really coming out around here, and you see them more and more. But as I got closer, it it just kind of kept looking weirder and weirder to me, until I got to about 15 feet from this thing. 15 to 20 feet, somewhere around there. And it's standing underneath the streetlight on the edge of this one person's lawn. At first it has its back to me, but the first thing that I notice is that it's standing on two legs. It's vaguely humanoid. Has a tail that kind of loops up a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, it's three feet long at the most. It, It didn't touch the ground, it went up. I had headphones on, so I thank God, because I don't know what sound this thing would have made. When I stopped, it turned around and looked at me. And it had a, I guess you could say a very human kind of face. Like, its features were small like a human's for the most part. But what I remember most distinctly now that I've been interviewed about this is that it looked like it was kind of sizing me up. It was intelligent. You could definitely tell that, but it looked like it was sizing me up to see if I was a threat or not. As if maybe, I don't know, it could attack me. I don't know. It decided to turn around the way that it was first facing me, and then it ran up this hill. This short hill in front of this person's yard and into their backyard. I was a little freaked out. I went to work as quickly as I could, and I forgot about it for a long time. I didn't really talk about it with anybody. I didn't really know how people would take that. <laughs> but yeah, that one still, I I don't know what to make of it. And I'm going to drink a, more of this beer here because it still baffles the hell out of me. That's the only really kind of cryptid I've ever seen, but I'll give you a little bit more of a description. It was humanoid, but it had what looked like scaly skin. It was maybe three and a half to four feet tall. wasn't tall at all, and I can't remember its hands very well, but it looked like it had something in its hands that maybe it was eating. 
I kind of, at least that's the gesture it was kind of making, like it was initially bending down to eat something. That one fucked me up a little bit. UFO sightings. I've had a few. I think three. Three or four. I'm going to talk about three and something else that's kind of weird. When I was a teenager, I had moved into my sister's old bedroom, which is the... It was kind of the master bedroom, the biggest bedroom that we had. My parents slept downstairs in this room that was at one time it had a bar in it and that was kind of their dresser like like my that's where my dad kept most of his clothes and the people that we bought it from were using it as a karate dojo which like it was kind of small for that but I could see you know how you could use it for that but I got the master bedroom and the only reason that I got it was because they couldn't my parents bed upstairs it was too big I think it was like a queen or a king size something like that so I moved into my sister's bedroom and my old bedroom just kind of was like a storage area my sister had my niece that's where she would uh, stay when she was over but I think this was in the winter months I, I for whatever reason I get this image that this was like winter sometime maybe Toward late winter, early spring. And I was getting ready for bed probably about 9 o'clock at night or so. I want to say I was around maybe 13, 14, maybe even, no, maybe even 15. I graduated high school when I was 19. I was held back for a year. Yeah, that makes me feel like a dumbass. As I'm just about to climb into bed, I looked out the window. And, like, there's three kind of small windows that have cranks on them that open from the side. And you kind of had a halfway decent view of the sky, and I looked up, and I could see this orange orb. It was an orange light, and it was just hanging there. And then when I looked at it, it blinked off. That's kind of weird. And then it blinked on again, and it was in a different place. It was like, it was to my left now. And then it would blink off. And then it would go to my right and blink on again. And it kept doing this back and forth, side to side motion for a few minutes. I watched this thing for maybe like three to five minutes do this thing. And then it was weird. I was just like, okay, go to bed. I'm going to bed. So I did. Maybe a few weeks to a month later we were watching unsolved mysteries and it was a repeat i think it was kind of like one of those episodes that they would cob together of like different uh segments one of them was the unexplained those were my favorite types of unsolved mysteries episodes that was my thing man and that's why partially why i do this now that night they were showing a rerun of the Allagash abductions. When I saw it, I felt a little 
panic when they showed the pictures, the drawings that one of the Wiener brothers did of the aliens because they're very insect looking like even more than like we associate Grays as being and it just freaked me out a little bit. I don't know that I was abducted, but I'm just like, I saw something in the sky and holy crap, that could have happened to me. That was a, yeah, that was a weird one. Um, it was an interesting sighting and then like, I just don't know why I went to bed. I really don't. It was just, go to bed now. You've seen what you've seen. Go to bed. That was always weird to me. Almost 20 years later, in 2015, I was at work. I was still at the same place, doing the same job that I do now, which is to do the laundry for a medium-sized nursing home. A buddy of mine, a co-worker, had come down, and he had asked if I wanted to go out on a break. I'm like, no, nah, man, I got so much work to do. He's like, oh, come on, it's all right. He was, he was the kind of guy that would do that, where it would be like, oh, come on, man, you know, convince you to go. So I was like, all right. This was maybe 10, 15 in the morning, 10, 15 to 10.30 was the break time that we took. He smoked cigarettes, I didn't. Whenever we go out on break, it's just me standing there watching him smoke cigarettes. This was in June, so it was a really nice, clear day. It was bright, no clouds in the sky. And we were out there maybe a couple minutes, and I was just talking to him. Then I looked up, and I saw an egg-shaped object. Literally, it looked like if you took an egg and you blew it up a hundred times its size, and maybe even more than that, and you somehow managed to make it hover in the air, that's what it looked like. It looked like a flying egg. That's the best way to describe it. Didn't make any sound of any kind. There was no propulsion that we could see. And it was basically just moving very slowly from where we were. And I, at first I thought this was a balloon. I'm like... What the hell is this? It didn't look to be a very high elevation. I want to say this thing was maybe a thousand feet at the most. It just kind of moved slowly. And then where we were standing, or at least in relative proximity to where we were standing, it stopped in midair. And then it turned 90 degrees to the right from its perspective. And then just moved off very slowly, the way that it had come through. And the weird thing about the town that I lived in is that from about uh, maybe 2013, 2014 to uh, maybe a few years ago, you could see in the night sky, it looked like a, a stationary red or white light. And it would move as slow as this thing did. I've talked to a bunch of people in town, and a lot of people saw this thing, whatever it was. They may not have seen it during the day like we did, but I think it's the same thing. I saw this thing flying low near... It's an old factory that used to produce plastic plates and stuff. It passed by one of the smokestacks. It was, like, very low when it did that, and then... Less than five minutes later, there were two jets that went in the same direction. And we get jets all the time over here from Vermont, from the Vermont Air National Guard. The weirdest part of this was that 
it kind of sent me on a journey to look at the UFOs a little bit more. A couple months later, I think this was in August, when I get to work, I'm the only one there in my area. The only one doing anything. Um, everybody shows up about two hours after I do. And I was standing there folding. And recently I had read about Debbie Jordan Cobble's story. She's the subject of Bud Hopkins Intruders. And I had listened to an audiobook of this one woman's accounts of abduction. Her name is Sherry Wilde. And they were just kind of on my mind. And I was just kind of thinking, like, man, greys, are they real? Are they not real? Like, what is going on here? Out of the corner of my eye, I can see this, like, humanoid form just standing there in the corner. Details that I can make out, it was mostly blue. And I don't mean that its skin was blue. I think whatever it was wearing was blue. But its skin was, like, really chalky white. As I was looking up, you know, I can't really, like, this is out of the corner of my eye, so I can't make out, you know, huge details here, but whatever it was had a really big head and these black areas on their face that I could only assume was its eyes, and it was just standing there and staring at me. I turned for a brief second, I caught a glimpse for just a second, and it looked like a fucking gray. That's the only way I can describe it. It was just standing there watching me. I think it just wanted me to know that, yeah, we're real. We're here. I'm staring at you. So here we are. I got freaked out. (laughs) I ran out of the building at that point. I didn't know what to think. I still don't know what to think. And I don't really, I don't really want to pursue, pursue it further. I think it was just watching me and just wanting to let me know that, yeah, we're here. We exist. So the last story is, um, it's I call it the Love and Saucer story. Last year, I interviewed Brad Abrahams, the director of Love and Saucers, the documentary about David Huggins. It was going to be a while before I put it out, I remember. I was supposed to do an interview with Chris Cogswell. And we were going to do this, uh, I called it the after school special because we did end up releasing it, I don't know, maybe a month or two later. And I was like, oh, crap, I don't have anything to put up. And then I'm like, oh, I've got the interview with Brad. I'll throw that up. So it was a, I want to say it was a Sunday. I had Monday off, which was different because usually I had Tuesdays off. So I was editing the thing. No, wait, no, I did. I did have to work on Monday. I had Tuesday off. That's right. So I edited the thing. And the weird thing was is that the whole time I was editing it, which was in the living room, I just felt like I was fucking being watched. It was weird. I'm like looking around. Even my dog, I think, kind of, you know, picked up on that vibe that I was being watched. She kind of like felt a little distant there for a while, and she kind of backed off me for a little bit. I finished it up. I scheduled it to go up, and it did. So that next day. I went to work. Usual time. Usual path going to work. I was walking. And I turned down that street where I saw that weird lizard man thing. Which I... Yeah, the Adirondack lizard man, as we call it. As I call it. And I could see this really bright white and red light that was kind of flashing. 
and I looked up to it, and it kind of paced me there for a little while, until it just sped away really, really fast. I have no idea what the hell that was, and I don't know what the hell was going on that night, but I just felt watched, and it almost felt like, I don't know, kind of like a confirmation kind of moment, almost like a thank you, I guess, because like that, that's just kind of how I felt. It felt like a thank you. Those are my stories. I hope you enjoy them. And if anything, I hope that me telling my stories get you guys to tell yours. Tell your stories. It's important to tell these stories. They allude to something else that we don't know anything really about. But these stories are important anyway. So tell them. So the future of the show. This is the last show of 2019. And the reason for that is is the show is heading in a different direction. I've teased this on a couple other podcasts, but what we're going to be doing is kind of like a seasonal format. You know, in the way that, like, Serial has seasons or something like that. Because I love the storytelling aspect of this podcast. We're going to come back in probably about April 2020. And we're going to bring you what I think are the important stories. The ones that have kind of shaped UFO history and stuff. And we're going to tell the hell out of them. We've got some of them researched already. We're going to start writing scripts soon. And in April 2020, we're going to bring them to you. I'm sorry that it has to be this way. But for me, for my sanity, it has to. And I think that's a good thing. And I hope you guys will stick around. And I hope that next year you'll all be hearing me again. So, thank you. And um, I'll see you around.